0: Welcome to the object Oriented UX Podcast, a podcast about tackling complexity head-on, gracefully organizing massive amounts of information, and designing scalable, future-proof, and of course, naturally intuitive object-oriented user experiences. An OUXer is a powerful blend of information architect, business analyst, facilitator, and UX strategist. If this sounds like you or what you aspire to, you are so in the right place. I'm Sophia Prater, UX designer, chief evangelist of or UX, and your host. Let's jump into it. Welcome to the OAUX podcast.
1: Yeah, it should be fun.
0: Yeah, I am. I am super excited to have you. So I'm going to introduce you real quick, if that's cool, and then I'll jump into all of my questions. Okay. Carrie Hain is the co-author of one of my top five most recommended books for OAUXers, maybe top three. It's up there. That book is Designing Connected Content, which she co-authored with Mike Atherton. Carrie ran her own content strategy firm for five years before joining Palladian Partners as Senior Digital Project Director, where she uses her content structuring superpowers to provide Palladian's clients with a unified digital communication strategy. So actually, to my question about Palladian, before we really jump into it, are those, those clients are mainly for nonprofits in the healthcare arena, is that correct?
1: Uh, no, it's actually most of our clients are um, with the National Institutes of Health. So the different um, institutes like um, Dr. Fauci's Institute, (NIAD for short, the National, uh, what does it sound for? Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases um, is one of them. So that's, that's who I think probably about 80% of our clients are and the others are Mo- are still mostly government, but other government um, space, and and now and then we do nonprofits, but not, um, not a lot of the work comes through nonprofits.
0: Okay, but it's mostly healthcare.
1: It is all healthcare. So yes, all healthcare. All well, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could so, say that. So there's always in- exceptions to rules, right? But it's it's a healthcare communications agency.
0: Okay, so you're dealing with all that complexity of healthcare that um, that really anybody in a healthcare industry uh, can can relate to. Um, I've had a few clients that um, that do um, electronic healthcare records, and those those projects have been some of the most complicated projects that I've ever been on. Um, So they can definitely, I am, uh, I'm sure that they could use you and creating that unified digital communication strategy. Uh, I'm sure that is a really uh, fun and exciting challenge. I can imagine.
1: Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Fun is relative, right?
0: (laughs) Well, I can imagine that it's quite a a puzzle to untangle. Um, So so, backing up, um, maybe we'll get more into into your work at Palladian. But let's back up a little bit. Can you kind of get us up to speed? How did you end up so deep in information architecture and content strategy? Can you kind of give us your path on how you got here?
1: Um, sure. It you know, like so many of us, it was accidental um, getting in on the early days of the web. But um, I've really always done this. Um, it just became, um, got a name as I went on and and learned more. Um, and the, and as the, the web and digital matured, um, I was working as a communications director at a small association when I created an access database for our membership instead of word. Um, and that got me into understanding databases and structure. And then I moved into the web and, Did that kind of stuff and um, dabbled in everything as a a webmaster as so many Mm -hmm. of us did in the early days Um, and then as we started to specialize um, I specialized in information architecture and the content um, because that that's where that's where it made sense to me that's where what I was doing that's what I cared about and once I started working with really awesome developers and uh, visual designers, it made more sense for me to focus on how to uh, organize and um, make things useful um, in a way that um, the, the developers and designers could support. And we're working all together to make sure that um, we met user needs um, and um, met the needs of the people who managed the content in the back end, and I think right. that's really where the the structure um, came in because the structure is on the back end, um, so it makes sense on the front end. Um, right. And and it just developed over over the years and in getting involved with first the the Information Architecture Summit and then as that transitioned to the Information Architecture Conference and. Um, being involved in that community, um, as well as the the content strategy community, um, just just kept kept it growing and kept me learning and um, being on the the forefront of of what's going on.
0: Yeah, for sure. So going back to that that decision, when instead of um, to basically instead of going into a word document, going into Access and look, starting to look at databases as a solution, um, what do you think it was about your Particular personality or inclination, like why why didn't you go the word route? Why did you decide to go into something that maybe a lot of people would find more intimidating or more difficult? Um, What do you think it was about about Carrie that um, sort of (laughs) sent you in that direction?
1: Yeah. Well, I you know I think what I have come to realize over the years is that that's just literally how my brain works. It just it makes the connections. and and sees sees the structure like you know sometimes they show on tv and movies like the mind of of some evil genius or or whatever (laughs) is going on in someone someone's head like that like I imagine that's what's going on in my head um I I just instant that just makes sense to me um and um I don't I don't know how else but I I just always have been able to do that make make those big leaps um from from what things are to what they could be um and making the connections between two two things or 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 now and the future or the past and the future um to to make things make sense yeah inherently I just things have to make sense to me
0: right Right. Okay. So going, going back to like how something that you wanted something to make sense to, you wanted the information to make sense to your developers um, and other designers and the business, as well as the end users. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do you feel like when things do make more sense, when you're structuring content in a way that developers are going to understand that in turn, it makes it easier for users to understand, like, do you feel like those things go hand in hand?
1: I guess it it depends on the situation. Like if we're talking about the web, and users don't necessarily see the structure, mm-hmm. um, but it's there or it's not there. <laughs> right. um, and if if you do do this this structure I'll, as you're creating the words or creating the messaging, um, then it does fit together better because you're you're thinking about order, hierarchy, and priority. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that you might not if you just start writing, I mean Sarah Richards says that in her content design book and in her her work is um, the difference between content design and writing is starting with what what do my users need to know versus what do I want to write um, mm. and and it's the same thing with with the structure, so you know content design and and content structure go go hand in hand and, and in that regard is you're you're creating you're you're creating what's needed um also the the core model work that the the folks at netlife um and and beyond um have been doing also inform inform that so it's all this this big thing but um i i guess in the end it, it does um, it definitely makes more sense for the uh, the authors the the end users of the cms mm-hmm. um, when, when it's structured, although they don't necessarily know it.
0: (laughs) So the the reason, the reason I brought that up is because I've found that with, um, so when I bring developers into the object or UX process, they're always very excited about it. (laughs) They're Mm -hmm. like, Oh, you're kind of taking the fun part of my job, but it's really good that we're doing this before wireframing because, Otherwise we're gonna take a wireframe or a prototype, some sort of procedural documents, and we're gonna to have to reverse engineer it to figure out what the objects are and how to structure mm-hmm. a database versus kind of doing that on a front end, but on the front end of the process, but doing it from a user-centered perspective
1: mm-hmm. so that,
0: those, so that those, the tables basically that we need to make in the database or the things that we might need to have in the CMS actually reflect the mental model of the end user. Um, and kind of having, and so I'm thinking about that corollary and also the corollary of structured content being better from an SEO perspective and being better from like a, a bot perspective, mm-hmm. um, while also being better from an accessibility perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like you often, when you structure your content, well, you're killing like eight birds with one stone. Um, Kind of like everybody's happier.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: Except for the people actually doing the structuring when they have to deal <laughs> with all that complexity. I mean, I think it's a whole lot of fun, but we kind of have to take in that complexity so that we can um, you know, make things make things easier for the bots and for the developers and for the end users.
1: Mm-hmm, definitely. Um,
0: so so going going into your book, okay. So I'm very curious about what motivated you and Mike to write this book, Designing Connected Content. So I, I'm curious about what are those first conversations with Mike sound like?
1: Yeah, um, they actually started with conversations about what content modeling is. Um, he had a different idea than I did and what a lot of people did. Um, and so that's literally how it, this idea started, Um, not necessarily, we didn't start with a book, um, an idea for a book. We just started with this idea coming off of working on the IA Summit uh, 2015 um, and building the the website and and modeling the the content for that for for the future. Um, We just, that's where it started like, well, what is content modeling? And then he explained, you know the work that he had been doing with domain modeling, and um, and how domain modeling and his version of content modeling was outside of an interface, and that really made sense to me. Um, and I had been doing the the content modeling that was absolutely just for an interface and for a CMS. Um, so I had that kind of that implementation experience and had been doing the, the structuring in that way. So, so it really just kind of brought it together and we like, wow, with, with Mike's domain and mo- content modeling outside of an interface experience and my implementation in, um, for an interface and in a, a content management system, like no one else is talking about this as an end to end process um so that's where we started we started with workshops actually um it was originally called designing future friendly content um Mm -hmm. and it didn't become designing connected content until we needed a title for the book (laughs) which was a couple years later
0: yeah and future friendly makes a lot of sense actually maybe we'll maybe we'll loop back to that um so what? Do you, what was well? What was your idea of a content model, or what do you like? Actually, maybe the question I want to ask is: what do you, what do you think the misconceptions of what a content model are? Like once you talked to Mike and you said, okay, well, this is a content model. This is what we're going to write about in the book. Um, do you think there's other ideas out there where people have other ideas in their head about what a content model is? And I mean, can you can you set us yeah. straight?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, so what most people are referring to when they talk about a content model is how do we build a database, which is usually a content management system. Sometimes it's, it's other types of databases, depending on what product, if you're building a product instead of a website, things like that. But um, So it's, it's planning the structure for that. Um, and, but it, it really is one interface oriented. Um, this website. If we wanted to build an app, we would need to have different specifications because that's built separately. Um, if, you know, obviously, way back when we, we had separate mobile sites from <laughs> desktop sites, that doesn't happen anymore, but, um, or it shouldn't. Um, so, th- and that's what I had been doing. And that's what even now most people are talking about. His experience and ideas were, were starting outside of the interface. Um, so the content model would just be broader. It would be about the organization itself, so that it would fit any interface. So, um, because, and it, and that made sense to me, because we can talk about lots of kind of content that never makes it into the CMS. Like if we're talking about uh, a nonprofit, you have a donor database. Um, you have you have the CMS. You have perhaps an, uh, you have a an event management system. Um, some organizations have learning management systems. They do not talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. um, but there's a lot of duplicate content between them. So if you're modeling for the organization, now all those systems can talk to each other. You're not creating duplicate content. It's kept, you decide where the system of record is for any one type of content. And then that can be delivered out through web services or APIs, whatever you're using um, into an interface or into another system that processes it and curates it in a different way. Um, So that just really made sense to me because I could see suddenly how all the work I had done could have been different.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I I remember going through that realization as well that I had been designing from a a like a screen perspective, a product mm-hmm. perspective um, versus from just figuring out like, what is the truth here? Like, what is like actually modeling the truth of an organization um, or like a, a user's mental model? How are we actually thinking about this domain? Let's figure that out first uh, before we actually start figuring out what the implementation is going to be and modeling that. Um, I, I had a client that I that I reference a lot, Georgia Tech Research Institute. And we were doing a very kind of uh, brochure-based website for them, kind of like their marketing website about what, what GTRI is and what they're all about. And I remember that was the first time I really directed the client to, to, to think about in our, in our very first workshops is that we are not modeling your website right now. We want, I want to model GTRI. Let's let's Mm -hmm. model what you are. And then the website should reflect that. Um, should and should actually show what you are. You are um initiatives, your core competencies, your news articles, your laboratories. Like these are all the things that you're made up of. And let's let's model all that and then figure out what needs to be represented on the website or what needs to be represented maybe. And some sort of employee portal or something like that. Mm -hmm. And how can we all kind of work from that same truth? So I remember going through that and looking back on my career and thinking like, oh my gosh, so many products would be so different um, if I had been working, I guess, is that what you would call bottom up working?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it starts with the, and I mean, I think doing a domain model is a luxury um, because that gets back so so far, um, and I often associate that with with branding. Um, If you're doing a branding exercise, definitely do a domain model because then you can figure out um, what world you're working in. Like what is the domain that your organization or your product is part of? And then you can see how you fit into that. Um, You don't have to represent the whole domain. Maybe um, you you only represent part of it because that's the part that no one else is doing. Um, or, or you can, you can see how you fit in with, with the mental model of the users because they live in that world already. Your website is just one thing, or your company is just one thing or your product. Um, so the domain to me that that's a, it's a bit of a luxury. Um, mm-hmm. but a, a content model is not a content model is necessary. If you're building anything with any level of complexity. Obviously a brochure site that has five or six pages, like my own website never had a content model because it was just a couple pages with blog posts. Um, But most companies um, have more than that. Um, Mm -hmm. Organizations have more than that. Uh, So the content model just really, really helps them think, different, it's a mindset shift of how they're, they're thinking about what they produce and publish digitally.
0: So let's differentiate a content model and a domain model, because when I was talking about GTRI, I was still thinking about that as a content model, because it's still going to be within the GTRI world. And Mm -hmm. maybe that content model or what I would call a system model words um, would be just for that particular system. So we're going to base the website off of it, maybe later a a, an admin portal or an employee portal could be based off of it as well, but we're going to model GTRI so that we can then model, we're going to model the GTRI system so that then we can create a website that it was a little bit more than a brochure website. It had like, you know, news articles and um, people and th- like a directory and things like that in it. So uh, one level up <laughs> from and mm-hmm. a, um, a more robust brochure. Um, but I would think a domain model would then be to say like, okay, let's model high-tech research. Like that Mm -hmm. would, the high-tech research would be the domain. And then we get into like contractors come in and government entities come in like now, you know, (laughs) DARPA becomes Mm -hmm. an object. And like, that's when we're really doing that big zoom out, which I 100% agree with you. And that was actually one of my questions that I wanted to talk about is that it does feel like a luxury and. And in the process that you guys outline, you do recommend that going and doing that domain modeling and then kind of like cinching that domain model in, um, to basically see where the system fits with or the product or the service fits within that domain. So when are there projects, are there projects that you sell the domain model a little bit harder on and projects that you don't, or when do you think it's really important to do a domain model and when do you, and, and how do you sell that?
1: Um, when, when I was selling services, (laughs) um, I really only did the domain model when someone asked for it, um, which, which did happen, you know, people who were familiar with, with the, with the book, with the concept, with the things that Mike and I have been sharing over the years, um, at conferences and articles and things like that. Um, so for people who were like, yes, I want this, but either I don't have the time to do it or I don't fully understand how to to make this happen, um, I would come in and do it. I never, I think the only one time did I kind of convince a client to do a domain model. And that was when that company was really, creating the company. (laughs) Um, they were, they were in early stages. It was, a um, it was a, a product company who was going from paper to online. So they were really trying to figure out how they fit in and they wanted, they ultimately wanted to create a, a new domain, um, that they would be the leaders of. And it was a little bit different than, than their competitors, but, um, that was the only time I'm like, hey, yeah, let's do this domain model thing. Mm. Um, whereas most of the other times we started with a content model um, because we we were focused on a website um, and how the, how the website could be made better for, for everyone, for the end users, for the, the people who had to maintain it, for the designers, all, all the people involved. Um, and so... Yeah, I, it, it, it's something I don't, I don't believe we can convince people to do things. We can educate them and get them on board and then have them ask for it. (laughs) Um, But doing, working, working to get someone to do a domain model, if it doesn't affect their whole, their whole company um, is really hard.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, I 100% agree with you that I think that the, the time to do it is if you are in sort of a startup mode and if you don't under, if you have not fully fleshed out your, even your your product or your product market fit. So if you know that like, okay, we're going to be creating something in the dog training industry and we want to create a service in the dog training industry, but we're not really sure what that service is modeling out that whole industry. And I think you mentioned this before, but saying like looking at like, who is tackling different parts of this domain? Like this part of the like you could seriously do a heat map and say, Mm -hmm. well, over here, this part of the domain is, there's a lot of activity, there's a lot of competition. But wow, when you look at like trainer to trainer communication, like trainers and, and different techniques, like nobody's really creating any kind of network for trainers to talk about techniques for different breeds <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, and how to like apply different techniques for like, oh, this technique works for this breed. and this. So that's where I could see that zooming out being really important to be able to basically, if you're looking to innovate um, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out where to focus. Um, the other thing that I can think of, so I have a client that, um, that is moving to a, I'm putting, I'm doing air quotes right now, moving to an API first model, um, which is at the first, that's the first time I'd heard that, um, but it, I can see that continuing to be a thing where people and companies are realizing the power of playing nice (laughs) with other (laughs) services Mm -hmm. and companies Um, and and just you know setting themselves up to have really clean data going in and out Um, and I could also see domain modeling be important there where you just know that you're going to need to connect to a lot of other services or products so um, and you know what I just realized as I kind of (laughs) So when I was trying to, I asked two questions at once, but then I sort of went right into another question. Um, So this difference between the content model and the domain model. Do you have anything else to say about that? Like, do you think that? Do you have any other kind of nuance to add to the difference between these?
1: Um, The way I usually differentiate between them is the domain model models your domain, the subject area. Um, It's it's general. It could theoretically apply to any organization that operated in that domain. Um, whereas the content model is for your organization. It is unique to you um, it, because it's how you represent yourself in that domain. The domain, um, you know, we talk about it as the domain being the, the most stable uh, thing. It's the bottom of the stack. Um, it, it doesn't change very often because the truth doesn't change very often. Um, despite what some people are trying to do these days. <laughs> um, but, but just how things work, um, doesn't change often. You know, it's kind of like the pace layers, the content model doesn't change very often. Um, unless you redesign your organization or, or redo something. Um, the con then, then, you know, you go up from there in layers that change more often. So it's absolutely like a, you know, part of a, a pace layer type thing. Um, where you All right, So we gotta things. get in,
0: We gotta get now in. We gotta <laughs> talk about, <paste laughs> we gotta layers. Talk about <laughs> pace layers. <now>. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let explain to us, what is a, what are pace layers?
1: What is a pace layer? Um, so it's, as far as I know, um, it, it was, conceptualized by Stuart Brand, I think in the late nineties, where he was talking more about like nature versus, I think he goes up to fashion Mm -hmm. and, and how, what you have to understand where you're, you're working. Some things change slowly. Nature changes very slowly. Um, Fashion changes monthly, quarterly, seasonally, whatever. Um, And it's always different. So, and then there's lots of things in between. I can't remember all of all of them but um it's it's just you have to know where where you're where you fit you know form function there's there's all these these different things um so you have to to understand the the pace um mm-hmm. at which change happens so you know you know you don't spend a lot of time on the things that ha- change quickly or you need to be able to make sure that the things that change more slowly can adapt to the things that change quickly so Um, you know, I've been as over the last year, I did some, some more analogies talking about different kind of pace layers and different, um, stacks of things to, to show how similar they are across different, uh, industries and disciplines. Um, so, you know, Stuart Brands is more general. Jorge Arango has, um, I think he called them information layers that in his book, living um, in information, he talks about it and shows how it works in the information space. Um, Jesse James Garrett's uh, elements. So I think elements of user experience is that his yes, diagram of course. Yeah. from 2000 It's the same. it's the same thing. Um, all of these things, we have the structured content stack. So um, all of these different things, it's like we're not, we're just applying it in a new way. Um, these ideas that just exist in the world that exist all over the place. Um, and the more we can borrow from other domains um, and bring it into ours and stop making new things up, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, just iterating on something that already exists, um, the better because it will, it will be more stable for us someone else already worked out the kinks.
0: <laughs> right, right. So I have your structured content stack I have it right in front of me. So I'm just going to kind of for the, for our listeners to just I'll just kind of work your I'll 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 work from the bottom up. Um for Carrie and Mike's version of the, of these pace layers and and like, you know, Carrie like you were saying there's so many out there. Um but let's talk about yours. So you have at the bottom you have the domain model and you guys define that as the shape and structure of the subject of your subject matter. And then you have the content model above that, how content is broken down and connected. And it's going to be based on that domain layer. It's going to be sitting on the foundation of that domain layer, but things might be different because it's based Mm -hmm. on an organization. And then you have the actual content above that. So the words and the pictures that are conforming to those different content types. Um, And then you have a representation above that, the windows into the world, um, your actual screen design and your layouts. And then you have navigation on top of that, the pathways through the connected content and you have it kind of stacked, um, from more stable to more volatile. So I have, so I have, oh my gosh, which question to ask first. <laughs> um, first I'm very curious now, if I was going to reshuffle these there's only one change I would make and that would be to move to switch navigation and representation. Um, why did you decide to put navigation on the top as, as being the more volatile than representation?
1: Because every person who interacts with your interface does it differently. They navigate through your site differently. Um, so as Andrew Hinton said in a in a talk a couple of years ago, Navigate is a verb. Um, it's not just the menu. Um, so many people think of navigation equals menu. Um, we, we are using navigation in, the, in a thoroughly um, pure way of how do you get between things? Um, so that's why that's at the top.
0: Got it. So, okay. And so I'm sold. All right. Got it.
1: <laughs> that was easy. I, I'm sold.
0: So, so I think I was misinterpreting it. So when, and, and you guys do very similar thing. We, we teach so much of the same stuff. So when I'm teaching system modeling, basically crow's feet and cardinality and teaching how to determine if something is a has many relationship or a has one relationship between these um, between two, two objects. Um, This is where I usually teach that we're designing that. We're starting to design the navigation because as you guys also say, we want the user to be able to navigate through those real world relationships. So we're figuring out, okay, well, if a author has many books and a book has, you know, one or maybe more authors, we should be able to navigate between those. I'm looking at the book. I can navigate to the author. I'm looking at the author. I can navigate to the book. Right. Um, so I was thinking that like the, like designing those paths based on those real world relationships, the paths are kind of not set in stone, but it feel very solid, but, but the context that the user is in, and also how they might rep, how they might navigate based on, um, context and also how uh, the system might give different recommendations for different users. So, I'm looking at this book here, and it's going to show me here's other products that you might like based on the book you're looking at. So my navigation. So are you talking about the navigation paths, like just so many users are going to take different paths, or designing in the ability to take those paths?
1: Um, I think it's really the ability to, to take whatever path. It's I use the choose your own adventure analogy. Um, we, we I, I see so much, Jerry McGovern was talking about this recently too. I, so often we design, we think about how we want users to use our product, how we want them to go from here to there. The web is not linear by any stretch of the imagination. Um, right now, every page is page one, People use Google more often than anything else to start with finding, even if they know which website they need to go to, they go to Google um, or another search engine. Um, And so you don't know where they're gonna end up um, on your site and you have to design for, okay, that might be exactly what they want. They'll come and they'll go. Um, It might not. So how do they get to where they wanna go without going back to Google and starting again? that's just, you know, one way they might end up on your homepage and navigate through the menu system or they might search or they might click on um, a picture on your homepage or a blog post or whatever. Mm. So um, yeah, you have to, you have to th- that's why those connections in the model are important. So you, you get that mental model, like you were saying of how the user is thinking about this thing and where they might want to go next um if if this either if this isn't what they're looking for what might they be looking for instead or even if this is what would they do next maybe it's if they get to an event page okay great i want to sign up um make sure you can get to the next event uh or get to the event registration maybe it's like well this isn't for me maybe there's another date um so we show the the other other instances of the same event, if you have it multiple or whatever, so you know there's there's so many different things people might do next um, that you that the the creating the connected content allows them to do it. Yeah. it you know I see so often pages are dead ends. <laughs> um, there's nothing there's nothing pe- for people to do um, after after they've seen this content, whether it's what they want or not. It should be up to them to be done with their journey, not for you to decide that because you thought this was the be-all end all <laughs> of, of something. And um, they may or may not want to use your menu, um, so we can't rely on the menu either. So the, that's where all of that that idea of connected content comes in is that that it it creates the pathways.
0: Right. So I, and I could I. Could not agree more. I mean, de- dead end, dead end pages. I mean, that's 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 my that's my crusade. That's my life's work is getting rid of them, basically. So we are we're on the same page there, the same non dead end page. Um, but when, let's let's talk about design iterations. So, do you think that we need to be iterating more on the navigation than on the representation?
1: No. Okay. I think we just need to keep. I think we need to not focus on one way of navigating,
0: right? And and I see that so much. That's I think that's where kind of our industry is as, as far as UX at least. Our industry is very procedural and very linear, and it's all about the use cases. And let's t- let's tell this um, let's tell this story, and let's do this flow. And then maybe there's going to be like one little alternate flow, but it is very much step one, step two, step three, step four, trying to like send people through the story that we, um, that we envision for them, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I definitely see that it's a problem where we're, we're not thinking about users being basically like bullets hitting a 10 can. like, we have
1: no idea where they're <laughs> going
0: to go and what they're, we just need to offer them um, lots of different pathways to take. Um, yeah.
1: And then you add marketing into that and it's even worse. Um, <laughs> they want people to go one, here look at this um instead and and that's the other thing i mean that's just a whole maybe separate issue is you know landing pages oh marketers have landing page like why are we creating different pages when there should be a page that speaks to that audience already um Mm. instead of you know if if we don't have one then why why are we separating that from the website um because it converts
0: better unfortunately like that's the statistics based on I mean if somebody has nowhere else to click and you land them on a landing page it will convert better unfortunately I I think But are they
1: are they going to to pages where I I I question things like that because Mm -hmm. what are they testing against better than Mm -hmm. what better Mm -hmm. than your other crappy page I don't know
0: (laughs) yeah that's a really good point
1: and and maybe it's true um you know, there, there's a lot of things out there. I, I, I question the, 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 the validity of the statistic because I don't know what they're comparing it to. Like, I always see better than, but better, right. they never say better than what.
0: Yeah. And that those kind of statistics are really tough because it could also be like, oh, well, it converts better as far as getting somebody's email address, but then you might just get a lot of people's email address that that maybe you don't want. So that are like, I have nothing else to do on this page. This looks like a good form to fill out. (laughs) Go ahead and do it. (laughs) Um, Okay. So uh, going back to our, the content stack, um, you can, you can pass on this question if you want to, but where, where does agile fit in here? Can you, cause does agile, does the, the agile environment only fit at one of these pace layers? Can it fit down to these deeper pace layers of a domain model and a content model, or does agile, does the agile methodology really fit more at the top of these, these pace layers?
1: I think it fits at the top. Um, but it's going to go much better if you're working from a model and you know what content you need to create. Um, because then you know what you're building mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know what you're designing. Um, all too often I hear, um, I haven't really worked in, in an agile environment in any strict sense of, of the word, but um, yeah, like when you wait until the end to say, okay, now will give us the content. It doesn't work. Um, <laughs> um, so, but if you have that model, then everybody's working from the same kind of the same sheet music, whatever their role is. So, um, you know, it's, there's a lot that needs to happen before you start building and designing um, visually the interface. Um, and that's where the, the, the bottom, I would say the bottom three layers of that. And so then the representation, um, and then the navigation kind of is part of, I guess it's part of the design. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's an output. Um, mm-hmm. so the, the agile really happens at the, at the representation level probably. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's how I feel about it. And I think that it's a, a lot of people are in a really tough place because they don't have, they want to do this type of work, but they are in an agile environment where they're just kind of spinning their wheels in the representation layer, um, and not able to really dig down into the domain model or the content model or the content levels, um, what um i mean maybe not maybe the question isn't what advice but just as, is there a way to do let's just say content modeling is there a way to do content modeling quickly yeah.
1: <laughs> like how oh, long does it usually take <laughs> i it does not take long i mean in the big you content modeling could be a sprint um you know if you have two or three week sprints you could do content modeling in two or three weeks if that's what you were focused on. Mm -hmm. Um, you need to get some buy-in from, from subject matter experts, stakeholders, uh, clients, however, whatever environment you're working in, um, which you should. Um, so it also, that's the other side effect of it is you get buy-in early at the point of what matters and what other people know better than you as a, a designer or writer. Um, and they, they, can, they start seeing opportunities and you get to start seeing how, how they think about it. These people who are your audience maybe, or who are interacting with the audience on a daily basis. Um, so so if, you, if you include some of these bottom layers as sprints early in the process, um, and then you only have to do it once yeah. because now you have your content model and then all the other sprints for forever can be based off of that. Like, oh, you know, okay. So we're gonna, we're gonna work on this this group of interconnected content types in this sprint. I mean, that's how I vision it, envision it. Um, Cause then you can work at, you know because now you can have people write the content. You can have the interface designers work on things. You can have the developers work on things. Um, because you all know you all are you know what you're building you know what you're writing you know what you're you're designing Um, so take those things that are all interrelated work on those first um, and then in another sprint work on the other ones and then at some sprint you have to start tying them all together but um, and that that's that's my vision Mm -hmm. for for making it work I'm with you
0: I'm with you. Let's do it. <laughs> I think it's it's just so it's um it's so ironic that we we get um we get so tied up in this representation layer um that we're just we're iterating, we're iterating, we're iterating. But when you're iterating without that content model um and, and without this idea of what are our what are our content types slash objects? What are those things? What are those things that people actually care about? Um, How do they all connect to each other? You can, if you have an idea of that, which again, I, I, I echo you 100%, it doesn't take long. I mean, in just a few weeks, you can get a really good idea on what you're working with and get everybody to see that same thing and make sure everybody's calling the same things, the same things, they're not calling, putting different labels on different things and it just makes working together a whole lot easier if you just are using the same words um, to describe things. Um, So then you improve your communication, you see a bigger picture. And then once you see that bigger picture, then you can zoom on into a piece it and say, all right, let's work on, let's work on these two highly connected content types here and let's refine them and like, see how we can kind of work across our entire system to upgrade them or or make them better Um, versus uh, tackling, tackling development and design feature by feature, which is a really great way to end up with a big monster. system. So um, one uh, one quote that you guys have in your book that I have on a on, on a slide and people see it with with your names on it and a little picture of your book. Um, I show it in almost every presentation I give is the quote: "People don't care about the containers; they care about the things they contain." And oh, I just love this so much. So, but it's so funny because the con- the things the containers people don't care about the containers. That's the representation which people, yeah, they want it to be, they want it to look nice and they want it to be basically ergonomic so that like it works the way that they think it's going to work. But what they're really coming for um, are the things. So I, I, I follow up with my, my version of that quote is that nobody cares about your calendar picker. They care about the event <laughs> that they're going to, right? <laughs> like you could have the best calendar picker in the world and no one's going to blink an eye unless of course it doesn't work, then it'll be a problem. So we're all caught up in this representation. Do you have any idea, like, how did our industry get so fixated on the
1: containers? What happened We not have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> we have nine minutes. <laughs> it, because, because it's pretty, um, it's it, because stakeholder, it, it's because that's what they're asked for. Um, like, honestly, and I, I have a real problem with this. Well, people just wanna know what it looks like of course they do, but you should know how to do your work so that you can, you can hold people off. <laughs> um, and, and that's what I spent, I, you know, I do a lot of like, just wait, just wait. And, but you giving, you're not just saying, wait five months. You're saying, you know, okay, well, to find out what, what we need to be on the screen, we need to talk about what needs to be there in the first place. And, and getting, getting people, uh, what I have found is people develop that patience when you're, when you're engaging them and uh, them and the people are stakeholders or clients in this, in this case of um, yes, you know, the homepage I do last because it's the least, it's kind of the least important thing. Yes, And It's the cover you, of your book. Like, yeah. You have to know, first. you have to know what's in your site. It, so that you can figure out what, what is needed on the homepage. If people come to the homepage, I think the homepage has a very specific purpose. And, um, it, 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 people, if you don't focus on what's in the site, then everyone's focused on getting their piece of the homepage and then their homepage is awful. Um, and it doesn't work. So focus on what's in the, what's on the site, get people, you know, it, it stroke their, you stroke their ego, like, well, what, 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 what is good about this? What do you do every day? Um, and that gets you to all those, those pieces. So um, it's really understanding what's important and being able to work with other people, being able to pick your battles. Um, yeah, people wanna know what it's gonna look like. So, you know, ideally we go through our process. There's never an ideal situation. So yeah, after we have our models and we've, we've mapped out how they'll be represented on, you know, represented on the page in, in, in tables, not in an interface, um, design the interface, let them know what it's gonna look like um, so you can keep working. Um, and if they don't like what you've, you've settled on, then you, you still have time to fix it. Um, so you, you, but you, you pick, you pick those out and see what's mattered. I know a project, a big project I worked on a couple of years ago. Um, there was at some point um, they had to, our client had to present to the board. What was this, you know, what was this new website going to look like? Okay. We can work around that. So we'll, at this point, we'll we'll know what's, we'll, we'll work on the homepage first. Okay. Um, you, you, you figure that out, but you don't do it just like, okay well they just want the homepage let's give them a homepage um and so i'm going to stop there <laughs> anything else i say well, would probably get me in trouble so
0: <laughs> right i mean it's um and and it's i think that the short answer of people want to people want to see what it looks like because it's pretty um and they think that that's the best way that they can give feedback i think Another piece of this is as far as from an information architecture and content strategy perspective, we haven't been that great about bringing people in and in a visual way that's not it's a v- different type of visual way mm-hmm. to show them like here's how we can collaborate together and um, Maybe not in a spreadsheet.
1: Maybe um, no, never like, in a spreadsheet.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, like, I think that that content modeling work is so helpful because it's visual for people, but it's visual, it's conceptually visual, mm-hmm. um, and people can kind of grab a hold of that and get involved. And the, I mean, the ironic thing is when it comes to stakeholders and engineers, as far as like them begging for wireframes, is they're not that great at. especially stakeholders are not, that's not their job. They're not great at reviewing a wireframe. Right. They're good at that. Like what they're best at is helping out with their subject matter expertise, Mm -hmm. um, or how they know the industry or actually providing feedback on prioritization. Um, and that's where we can really use them and we can do that through other artifacts that happen right. Before, right. The, before the wireframes.
1: Right, yeah. So we, we have to stop being married to these specific, very specific interface design tools mm-hmm. and artifacts and deliverables. Um, it, it really, I said it before, well, all of this is a mindset shift. Um, it's it, It's easy for some people and for some people, they never get it. Um yeah. For whatever reason, um, but it's not, it 's not what i what I have found, and maybe you have found this too in in giving in teaching classes and giving presentations, um, doing different things, getting out there, you know when people get it, they get it and they 're really excited and they go back to wherever they work on a daily basis and put it into practice um, People, I find that other people are obstinate, and they don't want they don't want to unlearn what they know so that they can learn a new way that would actually be more effective. Um, but they're they're just married to to the way they know and the way they've always done it, and they're not they're not going to change. Um, so, yeah, I think both there's a place for both people,
0: <laughs> um, but. People get very yeah. set, in, set in their ways that um, I actually just started watching uh rewired, which is a show on the, the Gaia network. So it's full of the woo, but um, that he talks about, he's talking about how the brain works. And he's talking about how um, neurons that, that fire together, wire together. And after you've been thinking in the same way or working in the same way for so long, you basically like you have to change your brain grooves. Um, you, that's, that's really hard for people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've been doing something a certain way for 10 years, 20 years now, now some people in the industry um, it's going to be tough. Um, so my general, um, my general uh, basically strategy is, is get them while they're young. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, and we should I,
0: cut that out of the podcast. Don't we, are not going to have well, to
1: But podcast. it's, well, it's <laughs> It's early, but, and I think that this, this is part that along the, the same line, it's, it's the design education is not teaching this. Yeah. They're not teaching this at all. Absolutely at all. not. Um, so, so no one's learning it when they're learning it. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and so the luckiest people are those who join a team as a junior designer developer, writer, whatever, um, is joining a team with someone with, with a leader who understands it, who understands, you know, this, this interconnected way, whatever you want to call it, connected content, Mm. um, object oriented UX, things like that. So, um, you know, then that's how, that's how we spread, (laughs) that's how we spread it, um, to, to be more, and, and I hope that one day soon, um, it spreads to the people who make the curriculums at these different design schools, whether it's at the university or, or bootcamp level, um, it would be great to, to have them change their curriculum to in, include these concepts.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. One day of information architecture is not enough. I'm looking at you General Assembly. Um, I'm going to call them out.
1: (laughs) And site maps are not information architecture. Site maps are only one thing Yes. Part of information architecture. Yes. doing a
0: simple site map is not teaching information architecture. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, we got it. We'll get there. We'll get there. So before before we take off, um, do you have any um, anything going on right now? Anything that you want um, OEUXers to know about? Any kind of like conferences you've got going up, or any kind of projects that you're working on um, that you want people to know about?
1: Um, I am taking a break from all of that. <laughs> Awesome. Um, I, with starting the new job and kind of shifting to, um, to, and, and going up, like getting that, a bigger view, wider view, um, I'm zooming out, um, in the, in a project director role and looking at, um, all the things that happen within it and leading the client towards, um, towards connected content, um is is what i'm focusing on and just um absorbing what i can from other other fields so i can find new ways to to talk about what i do and apply it in in new ways so i'm i'm kind of in 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 between uh in between just, I'm in between right now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that is, that is totally fair. Um, so I will definitely be linking to the book. Um, so everybody who's listening, you guys should definitely read designing connected content. It is awesome. Um, and, and then, you know, I'll link to your website and all that good stuff. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much right. for being on the podcast and, um, have a great, have a great rest of your evening.
1: All right. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I truly hope you enjoyed this episode. Please visit objectorientux.com slash podcast for show notes. Our soundtrack is Fighter by Ruby Bell, courtesy of Rue Records. Happy OUXing!